Well, it is a blessing uh, to be here with you this evening. My wife, Julie, here. We've been married for 35 years. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we got married in the third grade. That's why we look so young, right? We started early. But uh, it's been a joy to serve the Lord. And it's been a joy to serve the Lord in the country of Ukraine. And specifically in the city of Kiev. And we were... Um, planting in church there in Kiev, the capital, and all this, uh, the COVID stuff was going on. And so we had multiple times where for multiple months we had to shut down the work. And I myself got COVID and became very sick uh, for a period of time. And, uh, but God had plans for me, so the Lord left me here. Uh, but it was the first time I've ever been involved with a church plant. I've done that part before by God's grace, but a church plant restart. We had to do a church plant restart, and then we had a church plant restart of a restart, uh, and so forth, until finally we had just eight months, about in a row, that we've been able to meet, and then uh, the Russian troops began to gather on the border, uh, on the eastern side, and of course Crimea, which Russia took in 2014, occupied, and then in the Donbass region in that same time frame on the eastern side. But when it became very serious for me is when they crossed over the Dnieper River onto the western side of the Dnieper River into Belarus, just north of Kiev. And that's when you could tell things were getting very serious and the amounts of equipment and soldiers that were being brought from the far eastern, eastern part of Russia. Russia covers 11 time zones. That's how big it is. If you look on a map at Russia, Russia is a huge country, 11 time zones. We're only four time zones right here in America. So think about that, the length and mass of that country. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be enough. They want more and uh, they want more land. And so that's uh, when they invaded Ukraine. We left the first part of uh, February uh, and then the invasion took place around the 20, was it the 21st, 24th of February. Uh, We had counsel that things were going to happen and they, uh, uh, we had a guy that was actually on the State Department. Uh, he was attending. We had two services on Sunday, a Ukrainian service, and then we have an English service. He came to our English service. He's a, a believer uh, and uh, goes to a Baptist church in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and he was sharing of us, updating us on things that were happening. And sure enough, it happened. And I wish it hadn't happened. And, and uh, we came back then, and then I made a trip over there and just got back last Thursday into Seattle. And so I want to update you on some things that are going on there and on our ministry, which has greatly changed uh, from where we were uh, and what God has called me and gifted me to do. But here you can see Derek and Julie Thomas. I see the city there of Kiev in the background. And I guess I've got the flipper here, don't I, guys? I need to turn this on and, uh, and go to the next one here. There you can see a young girl holding a heart with uh, the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Who knows what those colors stand for? The blue. Anyone know what the, what the blue stands for? Yes, sir. The sky above. And what's the yellow stand for? The land or the produce, the wheat, the sunflowers. Uh, Ukraine was considered the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union. So uh, it's kind of like Kansas would be. They produce a lot of grains. In fact, they produce a large portion of the world's grains. And uh, in parts of Ukraine, in western Ukraine, the, the farmers have been able to be, get out into their fields. And we did see some that had planted, were planting. 
But in eastern Ukraine, where the war is very serious, can you imagine not being able to plant? So there's going to be a large portion of their produce that's not going to be available, their grains. And so you can imagine what that will do to the world supply uh, next year, right? And uh, inflation issues. Here you can see a woman, grandmother, uh, out there in the field holding uh, cabbages. And Ukrainians in general are, are very happy people, very joyful people. They're not an aggressive uh, people. Uh, no, you can find bad people wherever you go. And uh, we lived in the capital, which is about the size of Chicago or so in the greater metropolitan area. Probably around four and a half million or so people live there. And you can find, find some bad apples there. But in general, Ukrainian people are very gracious people. Uh, they love music. They love to sing. Lost people, you'll hear them sing. They'll play the accordion. They love the accordion. Uh, they love the violin. Uh, but what happens in churches, you get to see some very good music. Some of the best music that I've heard in churches there is in the Ukrainian churches. They have trained musicians. They love singing. You'll hear some wonderful music there. Well, there's the city of Kiev, uh, the capital there. And uh, who knows how old is the city? Anyone have any guesses how old is the city of Kiev? Kiev? It's about 2,000 years old. So that's pretty old, right? How old is uh, uh, Oregon right here? How old's Portland? Do you know, Pastor? That's a great <laughs> how, old's, how old's Portland? Is it 150 years old? How old is it? 150 or so years old? So here's 2,000 years old. There is a saying that uh, Kiev is the mother of Moscow. So it's older, much older than Moscow. And uh, it's a very ancient city. Beautiful city. Our primary reason for going to Ukraine was the Slavic Baptist Institute. And uh, we, uh, I became president of the institute in 2013. I was pastoring a church in the Kansas City area, uh, in the uh, middle of America there. And I uh, met a man who had started the institute, Dr. Neil Cadwell. And uh, he said, I need somebody to follow me. I went over and taught. Long story short, God called me there. And uh, we enjoy the ministry. We've, we've seen an, a number of students over the 25-year history of the Institute. We just celebrated our 25th year. We have uh, graduates that are pastors or deacons or serving in various ways in the local church. And so we praise God for the Slavic Baptist Institute and praise God for the church plant. They're Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. And uh, the joy it was to be a part of that. That was taken from our Christmas service. We combined both groups, our English and our Ukrainian group together, and just had some just wonderful things that the Lord was doing in hearts and lives, uh, especially even on the, on the English-speaking side. We lived not too far from the uh, international dormitory of the university there. And we had a ministry, a student fellowship ministry that we were doing, International Student Fellowship. Uh, there on my, um, on my uh, right, your left, as you're looking, is a man that attended our church. He's from Pakistan. And God is doing a wonderful work of grace in his life. And uh, he is actually married to a Ukrainian woman uh, and just had shared with me how... Uh, how much he enjoyed hearing God's word taught. And he says, Pastor, we, we need to take this to Pakistan and you need to teach this in Pakistan. And uh, I thought to myself, Lord, have mercy. Do I really want to go to Pakistan <laughs> to, to preach? But yes, we, we maybe one day, by God's grace, we will go there. Uh, to his, the right side of him, uh, our left, is another young man that is from India. 
And the first time he had ever touched the Bible is when we gave him an English copy of the Bible. And uh, he said that's the first time he'd ever touched the Bible. And uh, he began to come and to hear and to listen to the gospel. And by God's grace, of course, had a Hindu background. By God's grace, he came to faith in Christ. And then the man on his right side, uh, our left, is a young man who's uh, ethnically Chinese. And uh, he also began attending and coming. And his name is Jack. He's like a son to Julie and I. And uh, Jack came to faith in Christ. And we rejoice in what God is doing in Jack's life and all these lives that were represented. And uh, just a joy it was to be pastor there and to serve there. And we look forward to the possibility of going back. I was actually there this past Sunday in Kiev. And we had a, a group there. Majority of people are outside the city. Probably somewhere around 90% of the city uh, is gone. Only about 5 to 10% of the city is still there. It looked like a ghost town in many different areas. A lot of times and in a lot of places, it's just the older people that have remained. But it was a joy to see them and to sing God's praises. This lady right here in the middle is uh, Tatiana. And Tatiana came to a service after she had been invited for the third time. So the third time she received the invitation, she said, okay, I'll come. And she came, and just a few weeks later, uh, she prayed to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior. And uh, a few weeks after that, she was talking to Julie on a Sunday, and she said, you know, uh, before I received Christ, she said, I didn't like to sing. I never sang. I didn't like to sing. But now I just can't get enough of singing. I love to sing. And it's interesting how the Lord puts a song in your heart, right, when you receive Christ. And so... Uh, I rejoice in in Tatiana and God's work of grace in her life. Well, here you see right before the war, kind of how the Russian troops were lining up uh, to invade. And you can see down in Crimea, down in the Black Sea, uh, you can see on the eastern side that Donbass area and up north there by Kharkiv. Uh, You can see right there bordering uh, with Russia where the troops were coming in. But then up north, uh, you see the city of Kiev. Now, Kiev, when it's spelled K-I-E-V, that's actually the Russian way of how you would say it, Kiev. And that's probably how most of us say it, right? Kiev. That's why I always heard it uh, here or when I've always said it. But the Ukrainian way to say it is Kiev. It's K-Y-I-V. So I'm trying to practice. Julie's getting on me. I'm trying to say it the Ukrainian way, Kiev. But you can see where the Dnieper River uh, cuts Ukraine off, not quite at half, but you can see it split and it goes down to the Black Sea. But look up north there and you see Russia up to the right side, the east side, and then go uh, just west of Russia, that is Belarus. And see where the soldiers came across into Belarus and they were located just north of Kiev. And that's when we knew, again, things were getting serious and things are very serious there. Uh, You go to areas there and it's hard to believe. In fact, if you were to take the color out of some of these photos, you would think you were looking at photos from World War II. In fact, I heard one Ukrainian woman say uh, from the city of Kharkiv, she said, you know, I studied, I've studied World War II. When Hitler bombed uh, Kharkiv, uh, he had respect for our historical buildings and he did not bomb those buildings. Uh, But Mr. Putin does not have that respect. He's bombing all buildings. Uh, even their historical buildings. It seems like he wants to destroy their culture and destroy their wills. Uh, And the city there has been under tremendous, uh, uh, just horrific uh, bombs and just 
it's, it's hard to imagine. This was down in Mariupol, uh, down uh, towards the Black Sea. And uh, you can see in this city, this was the uh, maternity ward that was, was bombed. You see the pregnant woman there. And I'm sad to report that she died a few days later after this. Uh, but just again, horrific things uh, that are taking place. This is uh, up north of Kiev and a little bit east of Kiev in the city of uh, Chernigiv. We actually have drivers. I'm going to explain a little bit to you in a moment about our ministry there that actually were going into this area even when it was Russian occupied to deliver aid. Uh, but that's just a private building. You can see there where a bomb had hit. Uh, he's actually, the driver's actually standing down in the hole there. Uh, this is where I was just this past week, uh, just in areas just north of I was actually in the city of Bucha. You remember reading about Bucha a couple of weeks ago uh, where there were uh, just civilians that had had their hands tied. They'd been shot in the back of the head. Uh, They had had heads that were decapitated by the Russian soldiers. By the way, when the Russian soldiers left, uh, they left mines behind. They actually mined dead bodies and so forth. The destruction was just unreal. It's, again, just hard to imagine. I don't know how... Uh, or the money it would require to rebuild some of these areas and cities that are north of Kiev. Behind this building right here, that is a whole building that is behind that building just leveled, completely uh, completely gone. Uh, you'll find vehicles just burned and by the side of the road. Uh, these are Russian uh, vehicles, uh, army vehicles that have been destroyed. Uh, here you see more carnage, more buildings. And for one place, as we were driving through that area, that city, I mean for a solid 10 minutes as we drove, looking to the left side and to the right side, uh, you would just see the destruction uh, that took place. And so it is very hard uh, to imagine and to think about how will they rebuild as a, as a nation if they, when they do get their freedom. This was just outside, not far from I stood by a tank there that had been uh, destroyed. And here you see in Kharkiv at the train station a few weeks ago, just people lined up trying to get to the west, trying to move to western Ukraine. Somewhere in Ukraine, it's around 10 million people that have been displaced from their homes. Now, if you took the entire state of Oregon... And we could take the entire state of Washington, including the Seattle, greater metropolitan area, including Portland, greater metropolitan area. Uh, You'd probably have, what, about 10 million people? What would that be? Anybody know? If you took Washington and Oregon and added their populations together. So that would be like the entire state of Washington and Oregon being displaced and just saying, okay, you're going to have to go find a place to live. You're on your own. Where would you all go? Would you go to California? Had a group just went down to California. We want to go back to California maybe. I don't know if I would want to personally uh, be too long in California. Uh, But you'd have to find a place. And then if your home was destroyed and you get no money for your home, uh, do you got money to go buy another home? Where where are you going to go? How are you going to get the money, right? If if, uh, the money that was in the bank, I mean, if you had money in the bank and you can't work, the war now is over two months, right? You're... Uh, Coming up around, what, 70 days or so? Uh, If you haven't worked for 70 days, would you have much money left over? Uh, How would you buy your food? If you can't work for two two months, over two months, how would you buy your food? Uh, But but by the way, you've got to go find a place to live. Where are you going to live? How are you going to pay for where you're going to live? Ten million people. It's a humanitarian crisis is what it is. 
It's just something that I, I don't think anything in my lifetime has ever been like this with 10 million people being displaced from their homes. Now, when you watch the news, they talk about uh, those that have come into areas such as uh, Poland or to Romania. Uh, some earlier had gone to Moldova, but are you watching what's happening in Moldova right now where Russia is starting to attack the Moldova area as well? Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But these that have left the country, maybe somewhere around 3 million have left the country. Uh, but that leaves about 7 million still in the country. How do they eat? Where do they stay? Uh, these are questions that, that uh, are being faced with right now. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Here you can see a man weeping with his wife, his child. If you're between the ages of 18 and 60, if you're a male, you cannot leave the country. You have to remain uh, to protect Ukraine. So most of the 3 million that have left have been women and children. majority of the men had to stay. So... When we were in Ukraine, you you saw earlier, our primary ministry was training of nationals, planting of churches, and so forth. But earlier, by God's grace, we had founded a charitable fund called Living Hope for Ukraine. The purpose that we founded the charitable fund was to help promote uh, Ukrainian orphan children to be taken into Christian homes. So we might have a Christian family in Ukraine. They might need an extra bedroom or two bedrooms, or they might need to increase the size of their kitchen uh, to meet the qualifications of the state that then they could begin to take uh, orphans into their home. That was the purpose of Living Hope for Ukraine, primary purpose. But now when the war began, uh, we began to expand that purpose by how can we begin to help these that have been displaced, these that need aid in the various parts of Ukraine, how can we help get them that aid to show them the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ in meeting their physical needs, but using it as an avenue to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share, look, he, he's meeting, that we give this to you in the name of Christ, right? But there's a greater need he's met for you. He met that need for you on Calvary at the cross. And, uh, and we are seeing that uh, come to pass. I'll share a few stories about that. Here you see some men uh, that are pastors of churches. Uh, to my uh, left there, you're right. That is our uh, director of our charitable fund, Sergei Prognovitz. And uh, he is based in the, in the city of Lutsk, which is in western Ukraine. I'll point that out and talk more about that in just a moment. But these are some dear friends and pastors that we are working with. And through our charitable fund and through our Slavic Baptist Institute, we have pastors that we're working with. So when, when we take aid from Lutsk and when we begin to distribute it through our drivers to the various parts of Ukraine, we'll bring it to pastors. Pastors will take the aid. They might feed their own people, but also they might give it to pastors that are out in the villages or to lost people that are in their area, or to refugee centers that are there, or if their churches are hosting refugees. Two of these pastors are hosting refugees in their churches. Uh, So it is being used by uh, pastors that are distributing the aid, and we praise God for that. All right, here's a map of Ukraine. Do you see the blue box up in the upper left? That is the city of Lutsk, and uh, that is where uh, our charitable fund is located Uh, You can see it is about a two-hour drive from Poland, from the Polish border. I just made that drive uh, last week, 
And uh, it's, it's not a bad drive. It can be sometimes hard getting across the border, uh, but uh, it's not a bad drive once you get into the country and get there. But think of Lutsk as a distribution center. And from that point, we have drivers that are driving mostly to the eastern parts of Ukraine, to these contact points where we have pastors to deliver aid. And then from there, the pastors will take the aid and break it down and distribute it into the various areas. So that gives you an idea of how we're working. Here's one of the pastors, uh, Pastor Sergei uh, Chris in the city of Kmelnitsky. Uh, his church on a Sunday, maybe they now have somewhere around 130. Uh, but he has somewhere around 50 refugees that are living full time in his church. He's had between 100 and 120 refugees in his church at one time. Now, can you imagine if you had 100 120 refugees? I mean, how do you feed them? They feed them in shifts downstairs. Here you see a, a Sunday school classroom. Just notice the, 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 the mats that are laid down with bedding for people to sleep. Uh, I saw where in their main sanctuary, they took the chairs, moved the chairs, and people were sleeping in the sanctuary. I know, again, they have 50 that are living there full time. But guess where they were this morning and this evening? They were at church hearing the gospel. These 50 are lost. They're not believers, uh, but they're living there at the church. Here you see a service with the refugees in it and uh, praising God for that. Uh, By the way, I was able to speak there a week ago Friday in this church. And to the glory of God, there were um, uh, two that came forward that night for salvation. Two refugees came forward. After the service, another refugee came to the pastor he received Christ. And then we, our team, we went back. We got something to eat, went to bed because we had to leave early the next morning. But that night, later that night, Pastor Sergey wrote and said that another five had come to faith in Christ that night. So even though it's a very difficult time, and, and the choir here tonight, they began by singing about hope, right? Well, when all your physical hope has been stripped away, your, your monetary wealth, the home where you grew up, the security of that place, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, uh, your riches, all of that has been stripped away. You're looking for something. You're looking for a hope. Of course, we know we have a living hope, Jesus Christ. So you've been greatly humbled. You're looking for answers. Christ is that answer. By the way, you know, I don't know, maybe it would be a good thing for something like that to come to America. You know, maybe bring revival in our churches if we had some of our physical hopes stripped away, right? We all live in a lot of comfort, don't we? In our homes. Uh, we don't have to worry about sirens going off in the evening, do we? I was in uh, Jatomer, city of Jatomer here just this past week. And uh, while I was there, the uh, warning sirens of impending missiles started going off. That's a pretty eerie feel, feel, uh, feeling when you, you're hearing the missiles, the sirens going off. And it's just going on and on. And you're wondering, okay, what do I do? Uh, you know, uh, I asked a young lady, uh, they, they have church services. I said, when the, when the sirens start going off in your church services, what do you do? She said, well, we pray and then we continue on with our service. Now, I'm just wondering if we had such sirens going on right now outside, right? Uh, let's say Mexico's bombing us or Canada's bombing us, all right? I wouldn't put it past Trudeau to do something like that, right? So let, let's say we're getting ready to be bombed and, uh, and the sirens are going off. How many of us, Pastor, would be willing to say, you know what, we're just going to trust God, we're going to pray, give it to God because we want to be here to worship Him. That's why we're here. And if He decides to take us to heaven in glory, that's better for us. Let's go on to glory, right? Yeah. 
I have a young man, I have a text on my phone. In fact, it was Jack, the young Chinese man. And a few before the the invasion took place right in Kiev, I I said, Jack, you should think about getting outside of Kiev and and going into western Ukraine. And and he writes me, well, listen, uh, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, you know, kind of God's in charge. Don't don't fret. And I'm thinking, what are you telling me this, boy? I'm your pastor, right? He said, uh, he said, listen, if, if God decides not to bring the Russian army, then God won't allow them to come. But if God allows them to come, that means it's the will of God. And if God decides to take my life, it's good for me. Celebrate, because I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in glory. So either way, I win, right? I'm on the Lord's side. I'm in the Lord's hands. I'm trusting God with my, with my life. It's just a, it's a blessing. And it's a blessing to see the Ukrainian believers and how they are praying. You know, during the early parts of the war, and, I, and to this day that I know, uh, many of the churches there were having prayer meetings every night. And on Mondays, they were fasting. And they were gathering together. I think Mondays they took off to fast. And these other nights they would come together and pray. Just asking God for his protection. Asking God for his grace. Asking God for his glory to be done. So it's, it's been fascinating. So here you see the various parts of Ukraine and, and where we're reaching out to. They're in Lutsk. At the uh, where our uh, charitable fund is located, we also there. Sergey has a Christian camp, which he it was mostly used in summers, but he has converted it into a refugee center. And we have a, uh, around a hundred refugees, if not a little bit more, that are living there full time. And uh, they're mostly from eastern Ukraine that have come there. Again, their homes, they've been bombed. They've gone through these. uh, They all have stories, and they're they're very interesting stories to hear how God has provided for them. But they've come here, and uh, it is more peaceful here. You sometimes will hear sirens and warnings here, but they're not the bombings and loots like they've had in other areas. Uh, But I praise God for that. Uh, You can see the loads uh, that we have larger trucks also that are loaded. But here you see a van loaded. Uh, Our drivers, we load into these vehicles. And then these drivers will drive and they'll go to these various places. Sometimes they were going into Russian-occupied territories. One of our drivers uh, that went to the eastern side uh, actually had uh, Russian soldiers that were shooting at him. Uh, He was able to get down into the bomb shelter to deliver the aid. The number of children uh, that were down in there. And while he's down in there, he's even preaching to those that were down uh, in the bomb shelter. Uh, Just stories are very, uh, just uh, praise God. Heroes, right? Taking forth uh, the gospel and taping forth aid. Here you see some of our drivers. I was able to speak to them. And uh, I thank them for their faithfulness and for their willingness to take aid all across uh, Ukraine. One of those drivers, and here you see him right here, uh, he owned a trucking business. Two of his five-ton trucks, he's letting us use for free. Uh, we're paying for gas, but he's letting us use those five-ton trucks, and they're being used to take five tons of aid out to various parts of Ukraine. And uh, the thing is, he was driving with a key himself, is not a born-again believer. He's driving with a born-again believer who's been witnessing to him. And a week ago, Wednesday night, uh, we, I met with the refugees that were there and preached and preached the gospel unto him. And that night, this big man, he's a huge guy, big fella, businessman, right? Uh, he came down the aisle weeping, Amen. asking Christ to save him. 
And I just praise God for him and I praise God for the work that, again, God is doing. Here you see uh, a bunch of flour. I think it was, uh, was it 10? 20,000 pounds. No, it was 40. Yeah, it was 20,000 kilos. It was 44,000 pounds of flour that we bought. Actually bought it from the Ukrainian government at about half price. Uh, they sold it to us, and we were able to distribute it to these various places. Uh, one of the places we distributed it to was in the region of Kharkiv. Uh, there is a rehab center. I've preached there uh, before, but they have a bakery downstairs. And so that flour was taken, and bread was baked and distributed out into the streets there of uh, Kharkiv. And I uh, praise God for that. Hearing see children uh, taking things there. You can see the, uh, the pampers there. I guess it's getting harder to get diapers there in, in Ukraine. And different things are getting harder to get. If we can buy it in Ukraine, we try to buy it in Ukraine. Usually it's cheaper if we can buy it there. For example, uh, buckwheat. How many of you ever had buckwheat before? You know what buckwheat is? Buckwheat's considered a superfood, and it's loved over there in Ukraine. And uh, how much did we buy the other day, babe? Do you remember how much the weight was? of? Uh, it was 10,000 pounds of buckwheat. And we figured it would feed about, it would add up to about 30,000 meals, we figured out. So uh, we were able to buy that. And if we buy it in Ukraine, we can buy it for about $2 a kilogram. If we buy it in Poland, it's going to be anywhere from two fifty to $3 a kilogram. Plus, you have to ship it. You still have to ship it. So what we can buy in Ukraine, we're buying in Ukraine. Uh, if there's things we can't buy in Ukraine, and some things it's getting harder to get, uh, we are buying them in Poland. And we actually have some from our ministry that are in the Warsaw area. And twice a week, they're loading up vans with materials, with food, with aid. It's about $5,000 a shot when they load about a ton and a half, two tons uh, of, uh, of humanitarian aid into the vehicles to bring it to Lutz to be broken down and to be distributed in the balance of the country. In fact, here's one of the young ladies there. Can you imagine going to Costco and buying about $5,000 worth of food? I mean, it's, I went with them uh, there because I, I wanted to see the logistics of how it was working there and went to the store. And I'm telling you, it was a lot of work to buy the food, to cart it up to the front, uh, had multiple carts, and then you had to load it into your uh, to the van we had there. Then we had to take it and store it in another place, wait for the driver to show up the next day, then retake it and pack it into the van. But I praise God for these that are that are doing that work uh, there in the Warsaw area. There you can see them loading up uh, the van to be taken over to the to the Lutsk area. Now here you see up in the northern area of uh, Kiev the area of Demer, city of Demer. This was occupied by the Russians for about 30 days, 35 days. I was able to speak with some people there, what that was like. Uh, there was not the bombing here because when they came in, they came in just up above there from Belarus, came down through Demer. The fighting didn't start till south of that a little bit. Uh, in fact, Bucha and that area down in there is where that was. Uh, the majority of that was taking place. But here... Uh, it was fascinating to go there and to see. And we, we went to some areas there of, of that, that village area. And we would go to these streets. And you'd have anywhere from 30, 35 people, maybe up to 40 people that would show up. And we would share with them a little bit. And we got to share the gospel with them, preach for about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, and then we gave, we'd give aid there. But people are listening uh, to the gospel uh, here you can see as we're passing out aid and passing out New Testaments, 
what a blessing it was to give the, the word of God. This lady right here is receiving a New Testament. She was the very last group that we met with this past Monday. And she actually shared something very interesting. She said, you know, before the war, I was an atheist. She said, but now that the war's begun, I find myself praying to God. And that day we shared with her the gospel. That day she came and she took a New Testament. And and she said, listen, thank you for coming. She said, come back and tell us more. Come back and tell us more. Isn't that something? So though it's terrible, though it's horrific, though some of the things you're hearing. uh, In fact, I just shared a story with Julie, something I read this afternoon. Just terrible things that are happening. But through it all, God is softening hearts to the reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here you see a lady there by the side we spoke, had a word of prayer. Uh, Here you can see a man. This man is actually American. He is a chaplain, and uh, he is working primarily with English-speaking soldiers. Uh, But he sent me a... In fact, I got a note from him today on WhatsApp. He sent me a picture of a guy getting baptized there, a video of a baptism. I gave him uh, last week a box of... Uh, New Testaments, but the opportunities that chaplains are having to share the gospel. Here is a Ukrainian chaplain that I met with this past week. I gave him some New Testaments as well. And uh, he was sharing with me some stories of of the openness of the soldiers and how God is working in just miraculous ways among the Ukrainian soldiers. And so we're grateful for that. Pray with us. We're, We're right now working on what we'll call a Defender's New Testament. It's going to be for the soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers. It'll be about the size of their side pocket in their camos so they can take it with them. It'll have a PVC cover, which is kind of a a rubbery plastic cover. But if it gets wet, it can repel the wetness a little bit. If it gets dirty, it can be wiped off. Uh, It will have the New Testament. It will have some of the Psalms, including Psalm Psalm number 91. What's that Psalm referred to as? Soldiers. Anybody know? It's called the Soldier's Psalm, right? So it'll have Psalm 91 and some other psalms in it. There'll be also uh, a gospel presentation that will be separate, that will be included in it. Uh, but this dear brother here shared with me, when you get those, let me know. I'll, he's got 5,000 soldiers underneath him. By the way, he showed me a really interesting uh, video pastor, a man that wanted 